Well, I mean, I was, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I was abused, um, not by my parents, uh, by, you know, friends of friends. Um, and that trauma stayed around. And, and I think it manifested in, in addiction. Um, you know, and so there was some trauma in my childhood. And then really kind of, I, I feel like the straw that broke uh, the camel's back was that my parents got a divorce. The, the thing that made me feel safe was broken apart and separated. In, instead of dealing with it, I, I basically used drugs and alcohol to fill that, that craziness that was going on in my, my head and, and lack of safety. Um, yeah. Uh, but also, like, I've never actually shared that, you know, I was abused when I was a kid. So that's, that'll be a new one for the podcast. That's Taylor Hunt, and this is the Yoga Life Podcast. Hello, welcome back. I hope you had a good week. This week I got with me Taylor Hunt. Um, I heard, first heard about Taylor through his uh, podcast, Heartbreak Kids podcast, and um, then I delved a bit deeper into him, uh, his background, and he's um, written a book called Away from Darkness, which talks about his recovery from addiction. Um, Taylor is, I was quite nervous for this one actually. I don't get nervous for most podcasts, but he, from his Instagram and advert he did with Armour Apparel and uh, obviously the book I had the impression that he was quite an intense character and um, yeah, it, it ended up it being a very powerful podcast I think you'll really enjoy it um, but he was extremely easy to talk to um, really nice guy and um, I, I made sure that I prepared as best I could so I think I learned a lot I'm preparing a lot more of my podcast now and I think it's getting more value um, for you guys for the people that are listening so um, yeah I hope you enjoy learning about more about Taylor it's not all really serious stuff I do ask kind of silly questions as well like why he has so many tattoos for example and I haven't got any and maybe I need to um, and also we, we cover things like his work that he's doing with the Trinity Foundation uh, and I really love the way people like Taylor get to a certain level and then they they give back and this is something I would hope to emulate one day so I hope you enjoy it um, as always if you could leave me a review on iTunes or Stitcher it really helps and enjoy Hey Taylor, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks so much for taking the time out to speak with me. Yeah, no problem, it's a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, where are you now? I'm out, actually just got done teaching and I'm at home. In Ohio? Yes, in Columbus, oh. Ohio. Oh, nice one, okay. Because um, you've been traveling around, well you travel around a lot, don't you? Where was the last place you were? Oh, you're gonna put me on the spot. The last place I was, <laughs> um, I was in Atlanta. Okay. Yeah, I, I do travel quite a bit, you know, after kind of writing my book and doing a lot of, uh, you know, kind of like promotions and things like that. Um, with regard to that, like, uh, I mean, it's got me the opportunity to, to go around and, and teach other communities. Yeah. The, the book, um, Away From Darkness, um, it's, um, is it going to come out on Audible? You know, I've been asked that um, a bunch of times, and uh, and I think we're like uh, in the process of 
of figuring that out. Um, I don't think it's very mm. hard. I just have to read it and find the time to do it, uh, if you know <laughs> what I mean, so. Yeah, and would you do the audio yourself? Yeah, I think it makes sense. I mean, it's such like mm. an emotional book that I think that the reader hearing my, um, you know, my voice and, and the struggle uh, through it, I think it will make it that much more impactful, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you have all the equipment, the audio equipment anyway, so um, from, from your podcast. Um, yeah, so I, I first came across you uh, through the podcast, and uh, that's how I messaged you on Instagram. That's how people network these days, through Instagram. Of course. And um, yeah, I, I love your podcast. What I was thinking was you spend so much time interviewing people. Um, how often do people interview you? And then I actually came across the uh, podcast you did with Man Talks, which yeah. is brilliant which was brilliant and um i found it really interesting um a bit of a superficial question to start off with sure but, um why do you have so many tattoos <laughs> <laughs> i don't have one i feel like i need to sort it out <laughs> yeah you, you do need to get one no i'm just kidding it, it's like a rite of passage you know in the yoga community you got to get one um yeah. and then you get two and then you'll look like me um <laughs> Yeah, you know, my when I used when I when I drank and used drugs, mm. what I found was when I was sober is that what I was trying to fill the the void that I was trying to fill was like this god-sized hole and I was trying to fill it with like spirits, like alcohol, you know, things like those when I, what I was really looking for was a connection to my higher power. And when I got sober, I, I basically started on this quest to figure out what my higher power is, what, what, what my God is, basically. Um, mm. And from that, you know, I studied Christianity. Um, I studied really all of the religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, all of them. And um, I've as I was studying them, I would be so like, you know, because I, I do things kind of like, uh, I don't want to say compulsively, but I get really into subjects. Like, I, I mean, if it's anatomy, I get into anatomy like really deep. If it's yoga, I get into it really deep. If it's religion and spirituality, I get into it really deep. And my tattoos represent the time of when I was trying to find my higher power and I was finding it through many different places. I was finding the truth between every single, um, wow, every, every single religion and every single like spirituality. I was finding that truth in all of them. And I come to realize that I believe in all of them. There's a truth that uh, goes beyond any of them that is... Uh, speaks to me on a very deep level. And that's what I was trying, when I was using drugs and alcohol, that's what I was looking for. And that's mm -hmm. why I have tattoos of, uh, you know, religious uh, tattoos, basically. I have crosses, I have Hindu deities, I have Buddhist things, I have Islam things, I, I have Sufism stuff, like I have all of them. And so, uh, yeah, so it's not really a superficial question, even though that my tattoos are superficial it, it's actually very deep meaning for me uh, because mm. it, it basically shows my evolution my growth mm. and it's interesting the point you made about you're not you've, you've 
they, they represent many different things but they all have a similar message and i suppose that is connection not just to yourself but also to something a higher power and um, i think a, a lot of people go to yoga for for that reason um and it's i mean i used i mean i was from from researching and reading more about you i was never um had a an i would say an addiction to anything but i don't drink alcohol anymore i don't take drugs anymore um but um because i feel that i can kind of get a similar feeling uh in if i do like a really intense practice <laughs> is without the hangover <laughs> sure which is which is which is nice um for for you and your um spirituality how would you describe that so you're not you were you brought up as a christian perhaps i'm assuming you have an irish background with the name hunt yeah. um <laughs> um and so what do you what's your spiritual practice now uh, apart from yoga do you go to church or any anything like that yeah there's been times where i've gone to church i mean you know besides yoga i mean obviously i do meditation i do japa mm. meditation and those kind of things just to kind of keep me right-sized and centered but i mean i also i go to the 12 step i go to 12 step program and uh, i find a lot of my spirituality there because what I found is that all of those people kind of like believe how I believe and, and we're through the similar studies or, or um, excuse me, not studies, struggles. And so there's like this common bond between us. And a lot of times my higher power speaks through people today. I don't hear any voices of like God speaking to me. Thank God. Right. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, I hear people um, in those rooms and the people in the yoga communities and and you know the re religious communities speak to me like on a again like on a very deep level and and so there's been times where I've went to church there's been times I've went to uh, monasteries there's been times where I've you know really dialed into uh, japa meditation chanting alms or you know chanting to a, a particular deity or or whatever and so yeah so I mean it's kind of a wide range uh, but it's stuff that I go back to or continue to do continuous or like all the time. So. And the twelve-step program is that something you still go to? Yes, yes. Right. And what what stage are you at now with what well, step? I mean, I have I, I mean I have twelve years of sobriety, and right. um, I, I go to continue to check in, and I go to mm. reminded I, I go go to be reminded of like what it was like when I was drinking and using, and so like when people walk in to the room. And they basically are coming right off the streets or they're two days sober or four months sober. It's like that recognition of like, wow, look at, look at where I am and look how I can help that person in order to help them get to where I am. And mm. so I don't always go for myself. A lot of times I go for other people, but there's been times where I'm like, hey, you know what? I don't feel connected right now. And mm -hmm. when, when I go to those meetings and when I dial into that or, you know, dial into church and, you know, my meditation, all of that stuff, uh, I get depth. I, I get like that connection. And, and so, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I continue to go uh, because it helps my soul. And, and really addiction is a, I get a daily reprieve. You know, I get, I get a daily reprieve from like the disease of alcoholism and drug addiction. And uh, I'm lucky. I'm one of the lucky ones. You know, I, I'm, I'm the one of the ones that have made it out. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's 
it's a daily thing where I'm triggered by things or thought patterns that occurred like, you know, way back when. And, and uh, today I'd like to say that I'm about five bad decisions away from drinking and using. Where when I was first getting sober, I was one bad decision away from drinking and using. So yeah. I have a support system today. And so I continue to rely on that support system. And it really gives me what I need. Yeah. Well, where did this all stem from, this addiction? I mean, because I, I, I've seen a fascinating TED talk that talked about uh, the tr everything we don't know about addiction, saying that it's essentially um, we're filling an emotional void. It's not just, it's not like you... you some drugs can be chemically addictive, but um, mostly they're psychologically addictive. So where did, what, what happened to you in your life such, psychologically that made you seek that comfort in, in drugs? Oh, man. <laughs> well, I mean, I was, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I was abused, um, not by my parents, um, by, you know, friends of friends. Um, you know, I was taken advantage of, you know, I, there was a bunch of bad things that happened in my childhood that I wasn't very proud of. And I also didn't have the wherewithal to, to deal with those things. And that trauma stayed around and, and I think it manifested in, in addiction. And it all also like, I'm, I'm pretty much a type A person. And so I live life a little like um, hard and fast. I mean, I mm. still do this kind of today. I mean, as you can tell from my teaching schedule, um, <laughs> you know, and so there was some trauma in my childhood and then really kind of, I, I feel like the straw that broke uh, the camel's back was that my parents got a divorce. The, the thing that made me feel safe was broken apart and separated and I didn't feel safe anywhere. And the only time I felt safe and I, I was able to like deal with the emotions that I was having around really all of this stuff, it would, um, you know, I, I in, instead of dealing with it, I, I basically used drugs and alcohol to fill that, that craziness that was going on in my, my head and, and mm. lack of safety. Um, yeah. I, but also like I've never actually shared that, you know, I was abused when I was a kid. So that's, That'll be a new one for the podcast. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, I, pre I appreciate that you sharing. Um, yeah. How did you come into yoga? You know, this lady introduced me um, to yoga. She was in a 12-step meeting. Um, it's it's kind of like outlined in my book or talked about in my book. But I was at a 12-step mm -hmm. meeting and this lady came over to me. And she did like a straight line. She looked me dead in the eyes and she said, I think I'm supposed to teach you yoga. Yeah. <laughs> And um, I thought it was kind of forward. I was only like, I don't know, five or six months sober. And mm. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm, I'm not doing yoga. Like, no way. And at this point, like, I was willing to do whatever it took in order to get sober. Like, I mean, I would have stood on my head if my sponsor told me to stand on my head um, in the corner as long as I needed to, if, I, if that was going to keep me sober. Because basically I was, I had, there was, um, I don't know, enough fire under my butt to, to change. And so the crazy thing is I'm stubborn as hell. I mean, I'm a Taurus and I got four feet on the ground. I don't like being pushed around. And, and so later on in that day, after I said no to her asking me to do yoga, I saw her again and I saw her walking her dog. 
and she, or I'm, excuse me, I was walking my dog and she was walking down the other, other side of the street and she said, Hey, you want to do my yoga? It's so weird that we've seen each other again. I was like, you know, I yelled from across the street. No, I'm not going to do yoga. Like not interested. <laughs> like same thing as what I told you this, this, the morning. And then the next day I went to a, another meeting and she was there and it was kind of like my meeting. It wasn't like her meeting that she normally attends. And so I, and she came up to me and she's like, are you sure you don't want to consider doing this yoga with me? And I was like, no, I'm not doing this yoga. And so later on in the day, I go to the grocery store or supermarket and I turn down like the Italian aisle and like I was going to get some pasta and pasta sauce. She was standing there and she's like, this is so weird. I can't believe that we're seeing each other again. And at this time, like I basically think that she's stalking me or like, you know, something's conspiring to like, you know, get me to do this yoga. And and so I uh, went to the gas station and I was pumping gas and this was in the evening of really the next day. Um, and, and I hear this person whistling and I thought in my head, I was like, oh, this person's like super happy. And I looked and I'm pumping the gas and I looked around the, you know, the, the, the gas meter or whatever. And I, I looked over and I was like, it's her again. And she said, you, she's like, you want to do my, do this yoga with me? And I was like, fine, I'll do this damn yoga. And I called my sponsor and he's like, he said to me something that I felt fine even today, like pretty profound. He said, what step are you on? And you know, like in the 12 steps, you basically have to learn how to take the 12 steps and apply them to your life. And I was given, being given an opportunity and that opportunity was to like, you know, try yoga and try meditation. And the step that I was working on um, is the 11th step. And that step basically says that sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. That's what I had to learn how to apply to my life. And, and that lady was coming into my life so that I could basically figure out how to apply the 11th step to my life. And and once I did that and I said that to my sponsor, my sponsor said, it looks like you're about to do some yoga. And, <laughs> and he hung up the phone on me. He laughed and hung up the phone on me. And I was like, yeah, I am about to do some yoga. And I, I put my tail between my legs and I showed up for that first class. And, and, you know, kind of the rest is history from there. But being a type A personality and, as you said, someone who's stubborn, yeah. what was your experience like then doing yoga for the first time? Well, I felt vulnerable and I wasn't in control. And so that bothered me. Um, and yeah. it was also, it was only women. And at the time that bothered, that really bothered me because like, I thought like by doing yoga, it was going to show that I was weak or that I was girly or something like that. I, I, I think that's maybe the, I, I don't know, not proper term, but what I was feeling at that time, but something around those lines, like I was macho or something. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I didn't like it. I felt vulnerable. I felt like I was kind of cracked open and I was really uncomfortable and nervous because I didn't know what I was doing. I'd never done it before. The only, only background I ever had was like sports. Anything that would compare to yoga was only sports, you know, so I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And as a result, I got angry and I got, I, I got I'm mad. I kind of stormed out of the yoga studio and and I just didn't want to be there. And, and, but I, I felt like a little bit of like how the yoga was working and, and that yoga on the first day made me really angry. Um, mm. 
I saw the damage I had done to myself. I couldn't do a, I couldn't do chaturanga. <laughs> oh, you, you mean the physical damage? Yeah, I mean, I put needles in my arms continuously. I mean, 20, mm, yeah. 30, 40 a day. Like, you know, I, I couldn't, I was, you know, 130 pounds, 139 pounds, 150 pounds at the most. And, you know, and six foot three and, and I couldn't do a push-up. She showed me how to do a push-up on my knees. <laughs> Your lady's a beast. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Um, and so then what made you go back if they had such a bad experience the first time? Uh, sobriety made me go back. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, sobriety, um, I had to basically investigate it because I knew that I was being pulled in this direction. And, you know, where there's resistance is where you have to go. And my sponsor kind of guided me. I told him about my experience, told him what I was feeling. And he said, all of that stuff needs to be brought up. It needs to be processed and it needs to be let go of. And, and it was talking about all of the emotions that I was feeling, all the damage that I felt like I had done or, or did do. Yeah, so I was, um, I was humble enough and doing my program enough that I didn't, I wasn't able to give it enough thought because if I gave it enough thought, I wouldn't have ended up at the second class. And the second class was a totally different experience, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, you know that what you what you said though isn't uncommon. I don't, particularly for men, because yoga is seen. Uh, it actually, it's a lot different. It seems to be in the states than it is in Ireland. But in Ireland, it's still seen mostly as a female pastime, um, and we're still. I mean, I'm actually in the process of trying to organise some men only workshops to you know show men that they can do yoga and still be uh, quote unquote manly. Um, it, it for so going back to your your journey through yoga and mm. um what you've done so far the podcast this is as i said this is how i first heard of you why did you decide to start a podcast because i know how much effort it takes and what it takes me anyway uh, why did you decide to to start that medium well i i started it partly because i felt like i shared my story enough and I was surrounded by so many amazing people. I still today, I mean, I have some of like the most powerful, I mean, I never had a community of people that like loved and supported me and, you know, that had their own struggles and all of this stuff. Like, and so as I grew my own Ashtanga community here in Columbus, there, there's just these people around me that are just freaking amazing. And, um, you know, and then as I started traveling, I started getting students from out of town and I, I just like deeply connected with these people. And I always felt so isolated. And so I started the podcast to, to basically give them a voice and to give them kind of like the spotlight. And so, you know, and it's been really well received. I mean, you know, like people relate on so many different levels, like the first season that we did, it was a lot about like people's struggles with you know, anorexic or, you know, bulimia and addiction and getting sober or codependency, like all of these things, man, they're, they're heavy topics. But like we all came to yoga and we, we experienced this like similar shift and we understood why we were practicing and like what we were, what it was about. And man, I wanted to give a voice to that. You know, I, I, I didn't even put yoga in the name of the podcast. It's called the Heartbreak Kids. Like, 
And the heartbreak kids are just like, um, everyone has heartbreak, you know, mm. on whatever level. And, and yeah, so it's given a voice to people that wouldn't have a voice. And it's been very therapeutic for, for myself um, to feel that connection and for those other people to share their story, to, to let, you know, I've, I've been told that every time you share your story or you share a problem or any of this stuff, it cuts it in half. And so yeah. some of those people had never told anyone that they had ever struggled with like eating disorder or something like that. And, and they shared it and man, they're different people today as a result of it. And yeah. it's had like a real kind of cultural thing like inside my community where it's just, we're about the real stuff. We don't, yeah. I, I mean, the, we don't care about whether or not you can touch your toes. We care about like, are you different and better than you were yesterday? Mm. You know, and that's, that, that's really why I was like, I got to do this podcast. I got to give a voice to these other people and, and um, it'll give me an opportunity to, to really use these interviewing skills that I've, that I've worked on for a really long time. And so, yeah, mm. but that's why I did it. Yeah, that's brilliant. I, I think it's fantastic. It's so well done. Um, the only thing I'd, I'd like, it'd be great if you did more episodes. That's all I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> I know it takes so much work though, doesn't it? I mean, for me, it does. The editing, yeah. uh, the music and all that stuff. Yeah, um, it, it your, takes your, your, a lot. Yeah, your music's great. Um, yeah, anyway, that's another topic. I want to geek out on <laughs> podcasting. Um, but I think what I love about podcasting, you touched on it there, is that Instagram is fantastic for certain things, networking and um, uh, putting your message out there, but it's so much based on the visual. And if you are someone who goes to yoga and you can't do physically impressive things, you may feel like yoga is not for me. I mean, some people come to my class who can't touch their toes. Um, but what I like about the idea of this medium is that it, we're not looking at the aesthetics at all. It's really about the 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 content of someone's character and, right um and you get to have you get to put a message across and have a bit more context it's quite hard to write an instagram post and uh it can be taken out of context quite easily oh super uh, easy yeah yeah so um no i and i so I hopefully the podcast medium is only going to grow which i, I believe it has from the research i've done um another thing speaking of yoga outside or off the mat um the the trini foundation so this is, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so forgive my ignorance, but where did the word, um, the name come from, Trini? Yeah. So Trini means three. Um, and so it has a couple different meanings. One is, uh, or the first meaning is that there's three people, uh, myself, uh, Don Blevins, and my wife, Jessica Hunt. Um, we started it together in India, and we started it after we wrote our book, or, or after I wrote my book. And so when I... When we finished it, we were, I remember just kind of having this experience and I was just like, we need to give this, I can't be the only one. I can't be like the anomaly that I'm the one who uses yoga and 12 steps and like spirituality to get somewhere different when, from where they were before. And so what we try to do is basically like tie the knot between like yoga, 12 steps and like, you know, like a program of recovery and so we started it in India and so since there was three of us uh, the the name means three um, that mm. that's what it means and then also in Ashtanga yoga the the second meaning is that uh, in Ashtanga yoga we start at 
the third limb, which is asana. And that third limb is basically what, what I teach. You know, that's, that's my passion, that's my, you know, my purpose and all of that stuff. And so we go into treatment centers and halfway houses and you know, all of these places where you know, it's really underserved population you know, people mm -hmm. who are struggling, like who just got out of incarceration and stuff like that. And we teach them yoga. We teach them as a life skill. Because um, mm -hmm. most of the people that are in jail and most of the people that are in treatment centers, they have a problem with drugs and alcohol. And we, we feel that we have a solution for that. And, you know, the people that are attached to the Trini Foundation are getting sober and staying sober. And that, that's pretty impressive considering the fact that there's only about a 10% recovery rate. Um, from drugs and alcohol. Wow, just 10%. Yeah, I mean, some statistics will say it's 20. Um, if you're like a pure alcoholic um, and you're trying to get sober, you're, you're at about 17%. If you add needles or you add fentanyl or any opioid into the mix, it goes down to about 7% 7, 7 chance. Whoa. Yeah, pretty stark, right? I mean, it's pretty... pretty yeah. Pretty dark numbers, uh, but there's a huge amount of research out there right now because it's a serious problem in the United States. And, um, you know, part of the 12 steps, and it's like a traditional way to, to get sober, part of the 12 steps is we don't talk about, like, getting sober. And so it's an anonymity, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, anonymous, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. and so I broke that, you know, a couple other people have, like, kind of broke broke that mold because there's not enough, not that I'm a spokesperson, I am not, but I do believe that there's, um, there needs to be more hope and a more, peop more people stepping up considering the, the numbers are, and the facts are that low. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why I wrote my book and that's why I try and give back with the Trini Foundation, all of, all of that stuff. So. And the Trini Foundation, is it, is, so it has a presence in the States and in India now or is it just in the States? Well, so Sharat Joyce, um, my teacher, um, he's in Mysore, India. He's an honorary director of it. And, um, and he basically helped us design like our, our kind of like our training program. It's called the Ashtanga and Addiction Forum. And he's supported it the whole time. But it's really in the United States, um, a little bit in Canada. And it's grown to some like international places, but it's not necessarily in India. It's more in the, in the United States. I mean, the United States right now has the biggest problem uh, in mm -hmm. the world. There's no other place that has a worse problem than the United States right now. And particularly For, because of heroin and opioid and all of that stuff. Why is that, do you think? Well, I mean, I know from just all of my research, and I give talks on this all the time um, at like board meetings and conferences and things like that. The real problem was is that they were prescribing narcotics to things that didn't need narcotics. You get your teeth pulled, you know, something happens, they give you like a narcotic because they don't want you to experience that pain. And mm -hmm. as a result, like people got addicted to them. And they're highly addictive. I mean, they would say like, oh, they're not that addictive and take them as prescribed and all of this stuff. Well, if you have any, um, you know, if you have like the equation in, in your DNA that says like you have the potential to be a, a, you know, an addict, if you give someone narcotics, it's like, fa it's like a speed, speed rail all the way to, to addiction. And so... Yeah they were given a more and more and more in the United States until they found out that they were highly addictive 
and and then they started regulating them and when they started regulating them they started reducing the amount that were able to be given to the public and for for what reasons they were being given to the to the public and so what happened is anyone who was you know getting them all of a sudden they were becoming like scrutinized as a result of it so they went from like the pharmacy to street drugs and when they went to street drugs it went went straight to heroin because you know basically they were being given synthetic heroin and then on the streets they were get, be given you know basically like actual uh, real heroin um, yeah. and so there was like this big shift and i was part of like maybe the first wave of it and there's been a third and fourth wave um, and the drug has just gotten more and more strong and and uh, it takes a lot of people's lives so I buried a lot of people, a lot of friends that I loved and care about still today. I mean, even talking about it, I get a little choked up because, um, you know, a lot of people that I got sober with are dead. Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of like the situation in a, nut a nutshell. So, Do you think, uh, apart from the, the point you made there about when people have an issue, uh, a medical issue, they're prescribed... Um, versions of these of these drugs and that get, can help them to get hooked do you think also there's a cultural issue that we live in the western world let's say american example lives more individualistic lifestyles than than other cultures where there are more sense of community and i don't mean social media community i mean actual real community and do you think that breakdown of community it's kind of a loaded question um has has an effect as well or how does culture have an effect if you have any insights on that yeah i mean that is a that's a very good question i i do think that we have lack of community in the united states and in a lot of the western world and and really yeah. the opposite of addiction is connection and mm -hmm. so yeah I, I do think people can struggle with that um and you know if they're so independent that they're isolated and that is like a breeding ground for addiction to be honest with you but um, the other thing too is I don't even under I don't even think people understand like the consumerism like and capitalism how it has like an impact on you know the addictive mind and so I think that plays a that that plays a role too and you know we're we're competitive and uh, we're a little bit more wound up than you know the Asian countries I've been into and and so. It's just like a little bit of a, a breeding ground for it. And I, I think that generally speaking, most people don't feel like they're fulfilling their passion and purpose in their lives. And when you don't feel like your job or your, or your vocation is fulfilling your passion and purpose, it breeds unhappiness. And today what we're, a lot of people are experiencing is that they are not happy with their current circumstances. And so they're medicating as a result of being in a job that they no longer want to work at, but they're stuck in it because consumerism and capitalism has got them to a place where they're working for the dollar instead of working to like fill their soul and their heart. And that's the fundamental problem, I believe. Uh, people are generally unhappy with where their lives are and they turn to drugs and alcohol to feel differently than what they do what they you know what they currently do yeah and and, and also and also another thing um that adds on to that is that lesson and this sounds this may sound trivial initially but i don't think it is 
I mean, you're you you have a family, you know, you have children, and that's great. But there's so many people I know. I'm 36, and there's so many people I know that are my age or older that aren't married, don't have a family because their career, you know, I have to get going on whatever ladder it is, even if it's in the yoga industry, want a better <laughs> word, yeah. you know. And I, I that's um, making I think making that compounding the issue. Uh, I think um, it's making it worse because. Um, we're not um, having fa- we're not procreating <laughs> right right um, and that's not the same in um, the birth rates in, in uh, other countries it's not the same so um, oh we've gone off on a tangent here <laughs> yeah yeah but, but I mean um, there's been loss of I mean it's, it sounds like what you're saying is that there's loss of family and family values and, and that connection with your family and, and that's what the breeding ground is I mean, you yeah. you take ambition and greed, and you take like I'm 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 going to be driving towards like the success ladder, and then all of a sudden, like you end up ten years down the road, and you're unhappy with the place that you're at. I mean, all of a sudden, drugs and alcohol seem much more appealing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, you've got no one to kind of um, hold you accountable, or no one else to live for, and you know, when you're when you're alone so much. So no, Correct. and I feel that I feel that you know. Um, since I've left the corporate world and I, I work on my own now, I, I go to a class and I teach with those people there. And But essentially I am working. I don't have a team and um, I've become more conscious. I'm a very sociable person. I'm more and more, more conscious of how much time I spent alone. Um, and uh, I don't think it's healthy. I, I think that it's um, something that we should all look at quite closely. How are we distracting ourselves from... Uh, the loneliness that we feel. I, I have. I spoke with Max Strom. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he wrote a brilliant book called "A Life Worth Breathing," yeah. and he t- he talks about um, you know why this epidemic of of loneliness essentially. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's it's just something that I think we uh, actually. I was going to ask you in in Ireland. We've just um, we now have our first ever eco village. Do you have anything like that around where you are? Like where basically people start their own village and they grow their own vegetables together. One fellow will grow carrots, the other fellow will grow potatoes. <laughs> some, other, some other fellow will be like baking bread and they all exchange um, uh, goods. Do you have anything like that in, in, Colum- in Columbus? No, I've never heard of anything like that. I mean, I've heard <laughs> of like co-ops and things like that where people just kind of come together and sell their the stuff that they're making but no there's no i've never heard of that in in the united states okay yeah i'm thinking of um i was looking at some land down there so we'll see <laughs> uh, yeah it's um it's an interesting one it's down in the middle of ireland tipperary have you have you been to ireland no i have not oh and dan was i right in assuming you have irish ancestry yeah yeah okay. irish irish and um on my dad's side and german on my mother's side so okay and uh, do you plan any trips here yeah, no pressure. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I would. I, I go to, I, I'm not very strict with where I go. I mean, I just have people ask me and, you know, I get an invitation and then I just put it on my schedule, whether it's this year or the following year. And, and uh, I've stayed pretty busy with it. So I, I get invites all the time, but I have, I have yet to be invited to uh, Ireland. Okay. All right. Well, so, uh, well, there's an invitation. I don't know what I can offer you, but um, <laughs> a roof over your head. No, um, yeah, we have um, 
a few studios here and because what what does your life it like what's your daily life or weekly monthly life like now between how much time do you spend traveling doing your workshops or classes and how much time do you spend in your hometown yeah and that I, type of thing i um i mean i spend a lot of time at home and uh i yeah. i spend like monday through friday at home with my kids i i just teach in the mornings i, I basically teach from 5 30 a.m until 9 a.m and then I, my day is done. You know, I do a little bit of Trini Foundation stuff. I do a little bit of like my marketing, social media stuff. I mean, I take care of my my studio. But other than that, I'm spending it with my family. I'm spending it with my kids, and and um, you know. And then on Fridays, I I typically uh, you know I fly out in like the afternoon, and I get to a workshop place, and I I start a workshop Friday night. And I go until Sunday afternoon around three o'clock and then I fly home that night. And so I do a lot of closer workshops where I can drive or just take one or two flights. But I mean, I also do travel um, international as well. It's just a lot harder on my family. So, yeah, but usually I'm home for, you know, Sunday night to teach Monday morning. And if not Monday morning, I, I start teaching on Tuesday. So nice, man. sounds like life is good. Life is great. I mean, you know, like I got three healthy and beautiful uh, kids and they are adorable and I love them to death. I Spending time with them is important to me. I mean, that family unit that I talked about, like I have one now, which I think is really powerful and yeah. um, for, for me and in, in my life. And, and then also like my wife, I mean, she is, she's my rock, man. You know, she yeah. is... Uh, she's a mom that stays home. She loves yoga too. She would love to travel with me. She would love to go around, but I mean, she stays home and she raises my, my three kids and or our, our three kids. And, and, um, you know, it's hard on her that I travel this much, but she knows that I'm, I'm not just going around and teaching Ashtanga workshops. It, it's about something bigger. It's about living better. It's about doing what we love and opening our hearts and our minds. And she supports me on going around and sharing that message. I talk about my book and how to recover from drug and alcohol addiction and all things that I feel like are very relevant right now. I get to go around and talk. It, it, it's much different than just going around and like teaching handstand workshops. Yeah. You know, I get to go yeah, around yeah. and and motivate people, inspire people to be different and better and live their passion and purpose like I was talking about. And and uh, I couldn't do it without my wife, to be honest with you. And I couldn't do it without the support staff that I got here, people that help with the foundation and my studio. I mean, I have some of like the best teachers, uh, people that just got my back here in Columbus that, you know, they support what I'm doing and they support where I'm going. And, and that feels good uh, to have that sort of you know all the bases covered hmm. yeah yeah man that's brilliant yeah well, um so my final question um is any more tattoos or have you got any space left <laughs> <laughs> i mean i got plenty of space left you know i i just got this um lakshmi put on my left arm and she mm -hmm. is she's just so beautiful and then you know like it basically turned into a whole sleeve on my left arm Right. And um, it's one of the most beautiful tattoos I, I think that I have. And, you know, it kind of symbolizes like where I feel like my life is um, right now. And, you know, and, and Lakshmi basically is prosperity and beauty and like uh, fortune and all of these things. And it kind of represents like where I'm at, you know, like my headspace. Like I'm very grateful for the things that I have. 
I'm very, you know, like I've, I've had prosperity and I've, I've been able to give back and I've been able to like share in, in what I've been given. And uh, it's a blessing, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones, you know, not a lot of people get sober and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm living my life on my terms and, and I'm trying to share the message of how yoga can help every, every person get to a different place. And, and so um, if I get inspired like that again, um, yes, I will have another tattoo. Uh, but right now mm-hmm. this like symbolizes the period that I'm in, like things are good, things are looking up, I mean, and things are uh, prospering. And, and that's, I've, I feel so grateful and blessed as a result of it. Um, I mean, I wake up every day and like get on my knees and I'm just like, you know, let me live in your will and let me do, let me, let me do your will. Um, instead of like living mine. And that's where I'm, that's where I'm at today. You know, I feel like I'm doing the work that has been given to me. Um, and I think it's a hell of a responsibility, but I, I think that it's one of the most uh, rewarding things that has ever happened in my life. I've never thought I was going to be in a place where I could give back to people and inspire people to change and be better. And um, I never thought I was going to be that example. I didn't even think I was going to be alive, to be honest with you. And so... Yeah. Yeah, and so if I get inspired like that, how I was just talking, um, I will definitely put another tattoo on there, but it, none are in the future. Um, okay. I don't have any, any scheduled. <laughs> <laughs> well, Taylor, um, I love what you stand for, uh, the work you're doing, and how you're going about it, man. It's been um, a massive inspiration t- to me. Um, I can only thank you again so much for taking the time to speak with me. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on the show. <laughs> yeah, no. Thanks so much for listening. As always, I hope you enjoyed it and learnt loads. Next week, I have with me my main man, Bruce Chung, yeah, my friend and travelling yogi. Um, Bruce, I don't know where he is in the world right now, but um, he's always um, travelling and teaching yoga. Um, he's um, an OM a sponsored yogi as well. So uh, Bruce is a really great guy. We talk about masculinity in yoga and um, learn more about what it's like to be a traveling yoga teacher and always being on the road. So tune in next week to learn more about Bruce. As always, please leave me a review if you enjoyed the podcast. Hope you have a great week. I'd love to hear from you. Feedback, questions, get in touch. Take care.